thank you for the warm welcome. And what an honor to be here. It's my privilege I bring greetings from National Community Church and Pastor Mark Batterson. A lot of love for you. And it's good to be with family today. It's good to be with family. I count you family. And uh, honor to the Mengistus and Pastor Zeb. Thank you again for uh, having me. And this is just an Isaac moment for me. Because Abraham just gave me a blessing. Mm. But it's an Isaac moment because it was always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a couple of Jacobs in the back there. Baruch and Ariam and my my Jayella is running around somewhere around here helping with the kids. And so today I'm in an Isaac moment and I'm just feeling that moment. Because, you know, when Isaac came, it was in famine and he didn't go to the new land. The scripture says, go and rebuild the wells that your father had built. So he was to go back to the original place of blessing. I feel called to go back to the original place of blessing and follow some pioneers, Bob Schmidgall and Bedeman Gistu, and praise God. But guess what? As much as I can look back and, and rebuild those things, now we also got to look forward, don't we? And we got to pass it on to a next generation and believe that God, J Jacob was used to bring about the 12 tribes and set up all God's blessing that was to come. So look at me, I get to rebuild some wells, but I'm just looking forward to what God is going to do in the future. Praise God for an Isaac moment here today. Praise you, God, I praise you for an Isaac moment today. I praise you, Jesus, that we have those pioneers that have gone before us. I praise you, God, for those who are coming to advance your kingdom agenda. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I give honor where honor is due. God bless you guys, and thank you for having me today. It was January 6th, 1998, uh, that Uncle Dr. Betta just talked about. My father uh, was discipling a man from the church. He slumped over, and he had a heart attack, and he passed away. Suddenly, he was gone. Our church our church was devastated. Our family was devastated. The city was devastated. It was a moment. Two days prior, on January 4th, he sat down with the pastoral team of the church on a Sunday morning. Before services, he gave a devotional. And he opened up the good book to Isaiah chapter 6, and he began to read from Isaiah 6. And it says this, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he closed the book right there. And he said this. This is crazy. He said this to the staff. Perfect health at the moment. He said, if I need to die for this church to see the glory of God, I'm willing. And I don't think he was talking about physically. I think he was talking about spiritually, but the fact is he was so passionate to see the people of God experience the glory of God that he was willing to do anything, to go anywhere, to surrender any part of his life so that the kingdom of God would come in the church and the people of God would begin to step up. 
for 25 years, the people of God have continued to step up and there's discipleship and baptism and, and, uh, and all kinds of things, and programs happening at the church and people who were dead in their faith coming to life, people who were fruitless, getting fruit growing on their trees and things past faith passed along to a next generation. The people of God are activated as they receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, I just pray right now that you would activate our spirits today. We thank you for the blessing that is in front of us. Now put your blessing on the word. And as the word is planted in us, may your blessing flow through us. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen. It's Luke chapter 13 that we're going to dig into today. Verse 6, it's a parable told by Jesus. It says this, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years, now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't found any, so cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The parables in the scripture that Jesus would tell we're always told to reveal a hidden mystery in the kingdom of God. And this has some hidden mystery, doesn't it? When you read the parable, I wonder, how do you interpret these different elements in the parable? There's different interpretations that are given all across the board. One interpretation shows that the owner um, would be uh, a pagan, and then the gardener would be a Jew, and then the tree would be, um, would be the, the Old Testament law that the Jew is protecting because there was a law in the Old Testament that said for three years a tree could not produce, and so he was protecting that law. So that's one interpretation. Another interpretation would be that the owner is God, that the gardener is the individual, you or I, and that the tree, that in our lives that needs to be cut off because it is not bearing fruit. I want to talk about a third interpretation, though. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7 says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. So the owner is God. The gardener is Jesus. The vineyard is the kingdom community. And the tree is us. God is the owner. He oversees all that he invested and created, right? And he looks at it with expectation, believing that these trees will grow and bear fruit. And then the gardener is Jesus. He's invested three years into this tree, just as Jesus came for three years in his earthly ministry, right? And he invested in those around him. And then after that three years, he sought redemption, when that which should be cut off, he said, no, I seek redemption. And he believed after investing that redemption would come. And then there's us as the trees. Are we producing that which God created us to produce? This is a parable that shows potential unrealized. Great produce happens if the gardener cultivates and if the tree activates. So I'd like to talk about principles of how our lives can activate today. Principle number one, the tree is planted with purpose. 
The tree is planted with purpose. Did you notice how the parable began? It's verse six. It says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. It's out of place, isn't it? A fig tree is growing in a vineyard around everything else that is unlike it. It's growing around a vine that is of higher, uh, it's seen as higher marketplace value. It is grown around grapes that are used to produce drink that is of the finest variety. It seems like it's in the wrong place. When I moved to Washington, D.C., I felt like I was in the wrong place. I was from Chicago, which is the middle of the nation, and uh, it's, it's the heart of the Midwest. It's where kind of the normal, the average comes from. And then I moved to a city of experts. I moved to a city that had the experts of the experts. I moved to a city that had people would collect PhDs for hobbies. These were people who were heads of, of, of organizations and had power and influence. And I moved to the city, said, God, why did you bring me here? What do I have to give in this place outside of this chiseled physique and boyish charm? <laughs> you get sarcasm here? Okay. <laughs> you don't have to. What do I have to offer God? What do I have to give? And I was stuck in this mentality of a fig tree has nothing to produce in a vineyard. That was my mentality. It wasn't until I went on a mission trip that God broke free a mindset in me. And I let go of that mindset that I have nothing to give. And I, I grappled with and I grasped on to the, to the calling that God has given to me. And I just began to use the gifts that God had put into me. And I broke free. I had a breakthrough. I broke my brokenness, right? Say, God broke my brokenness. And he set me free of other people's expectations. Hallelujah. He set me free of my own expectations. Hallelujah. And he made me think differently. I wonder if somebody can relate to me today. Maybe you feel a little out of place. Maybe you don't know what God is doing. And wherever you are settled, maybe you're wondering, God, why am I even here? It might be in your workplace. And everybody else seems to be doing their thing. And then you just feel like you're kind of over here right? Maybe it's in your church community or your small group and, and everyone's got it together. But then I just, I struggle with some things over here. Or maybe as a parent, you're looking and you're thinking, man, my child is so different than I am. How do I even guide this child? Or maybe as a young person, you're in school and you look around and you see everybody else connected and, and you feel like an outsider. Like you just, you don't know why you're there and you don't know what you have to give. And so you're asking, what do I do, God? Why am I even here? What purpose do I even have? And so the enemy starts to, to whisper to us, doesn't he? He starts to speak lies into us. He starts to, be, uh, to speak fear into us. And so we can allow him to get in and we can allow him to speak, that, that, uh, to say that you are in the wrong place or you have nothing to give or what do you have to offer? And we can allow him to speak into us or we can change the narrative we can be begin to declare something. And we can declare this and we can realize this, that when you are a fig tree that is planted in the middle of a vineyard, you are the most unique fruit in the valley. You have something to give and flourish that nobody else, that nothing else has that is around you. 
You were not planted. You're not some weed that was planted by accident that just started sprouting up. In the no, the master had intention by putting you where you are. You think you're there by an accident? God knows what he's doing. The gardener, he knows exactly what he's doing. Somebody needs to hear this today. To know that your uniqueness is not wrongly placed, it is precisely in placed. Exactly where God wants you to be. And you think, I have no value here. He says, no, your worth is at a high level. Your worth is needed right where you are. And the owner comes and he comes back and he looks and he watches and he leaves and he comes and he looks and he leaves and he comes and he watches and he's waiting for you to begin to produce that which he put in you because he knows it's there. But you know what kills it? When we start thinking competitively, when we start comparing to those around us, comparison begins to kill that which God wants to produce in us. And so we start looking at our neighbor. Well, look at what my neighbor that vine is producing, right? And we look at our neighbor to see if they have what we have or if they have more than us, and we get jealous, don't we? But our only calling to look at our neighbor is to see, do they have enough? Because I have something to give. And so God has placed us exactly where, in fact, the fig tree could be used as a trellis. And so as it would grow, it was a trellis, and so the vine would grow up around it with these grapes, and they would produce these beautiful grapes. And as they would grow out, then they would begin to fall. As soon as they fell down to the ground and touched the ground, it would stop the produce. Except when a fig tree was planted in the middle of a vineyard. And the fig tree acting as a trellis, that vine would grow up. And as it would begin to fall, it would catch the fig tree. And then it would begin to produce beyond that which it was capable of producing. So our calling as a fig tree is not just to produce what we can produce for ourselves, but to be a trellis to uphold that which is all around us. That in the south, that in the north, and all that is struggling over here and here and here we are called to stand in the gap and be a trellis for God's blessing to come in us and to come all around us. Come on, somebody, is there amen in the house? You are planted with a purpose. Somebody say, I am planted with a purpose. Know that God has you where you are on purpose. Number two, the master is patient and he's urgent. Isaiah 5, 1 and 2, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, he cleared it out of stones, and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and he cut out wine presses as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Here's what verse 5 says. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. So it's a story about Israel and how they were cut off. Jesus' audience probably knows this story when he's telling this parable. And so they, they hear Jesus telling it, and they know exactly where it's going. They know the outcome, but then Jesus gives a little twist at the end of the parable. And instead of the gardener cutting off the vineyard, he gives mercy to that which is in the vineyard. Our God has mercy. You feel like you're short today? Praise God. His grace is sufficient. You feel like you are not where you need to be? Praise God. His mercy it never goes bad. Do you know there is no expiration date to the mercy of God? 
His mercy just keeps, and he is patient with us, yet he is also urgent. He sees what he has planted, and he, and he is he is waiting for actionable items to happen out of that. In the Harvard Business Review, it's a leadership publication recognized around the world. They speak to this balance. Here's what they say. One of the most critical tasks for leaders of change is communicating a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency keeps positive energy flowing and increased productivity. Patience, however, is just as important. Realistic patience involves knowing when and how to slow the pace so that people can adapt. God has incredible patience. He has great mercy. Yet he knows that fig tree was planted right smack dab in the middle of the vineyard where the soil is 18 inches deep. And he is expectant that that will come out of the soil. And so he is waiting and he is urgent at the same time. This isn't just a story of mission in our lives. It's not just a story of fruit in our lives. It's a story of producing fruit now. It's a story of producing fruit today. Our calling isn't for a long time in the future. Our calling is to be received right here, right now, and to go out from this place and act it out. Number three, the tree has to be pruned. The gardener says in verse eight, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. I think the KJV says, I'll dig it and I'll dung it. It's this striking moment where he says, I will cultivate it. Disruptive innovation is a business term. It describes when an industry pattern or norm is challenged by innovation that usually comes from a smaller or grassroots organization and companies. And it shakes everything up from the bottom up instead of the top down. It's digging up the established ground to change things for the better. The gardener says, I will set up the tree well by digging things up, by getting down into the foundations, by, by stirring things up a little bit, by disrupting a pattern, by breaking up the soil. Man, would you break the soil? We, they were, we were going down the street the other day and they were taking the pickaxes out, right? And it's hard to break up that soil. He says, I will break up the soil. That's uncomfortable though, isn't it? When our foundations are broken up below us, we don't like it. But there are moments in life where we've got to stop lamenting the hardship and the pain and start embracing the struggle. There are moments where we need to stop lashing out in anger at the process of breaking down. And we need to start asking the question, God, what do you want to teach me out of this? How do you want me to grow out of this? Oof, it hurts. Ah, I don't like the breaking. But God, what do you want to do? And how do you want to take this moment? I give myself to you. The worst of situations can be the greatest growth catalyst that we ever see in our lives. There's a story about a cocoon. And this little boy goes out to, uh, to play outside. And he finds this little cocoon and he brings it into his parents. And his parents say, where'd you get that? And they start to tell him uh, about what the cocoon is. And they said, inside that cocoon is life. And inside it, there used to be an ugly caterpillar, and that is being transformed to a beautiful butterfly. And so the boy gets excited about this. I, I can't wait to see this. And so he waits, and then that day comes, and he sees the cocoon start to move. There's a stirring inside. And then a little hole pops out. And that butterfly starts to work. 
And he's just, ooh, I'm feeling a little work today. And he starts to work his way through the hole, but it's hard. He's struggling. And the boy's watching it, seeing how hard it is for this butterfly to work. And so he decides, I'm going to help this butterfly out. So he grows, goes and grabs scissors, and he breaks them out, and he just, he just cuts a little patch so he can open it up and help the butterfly out. And he sees this beautiful butterfly. And then he sits there waiting for the butterfly to fly. Butterfly never flies, withers up, and dies. And the boy's parents come out and teach him a lesson that day. They teach him about how the butterfly needs to squeeze through that little hole. Because when the butterfly squeezes through that tiny little hole, and it squeezes so tight around the body, the the juices and the blood inside the body is forced to grow and to go into the wings. And it's only through the squeezing. It's only through the hardship and the uncomfortability that that is, that is within us gets to those wings and gives us the ability to fly. Listen, we love easy, don't we? We want easy. I want to preach easy. Man, that's good. So I want easy. What we don't realize is that easy is actually killing us. And that which we decide to pray away, God, take it, take my hardship, take this thing so that I can get this blessing over here. God says, no, I heard your your prayer for blessing, and that's why I gave you this hardship, because it's going to squeeze the juices in you that grow into your wings so that you can fly over all that the enemy is trying to do. God is working in us, and sometimes we don't even know it, do we? We've got to let him do his work. James 1, verses 2 through 4, it speaks it to us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is doing his work. Number four, activation leads to production. The scripture leaves you wanting. When you read this parable, I'm waiting for the nice ending, right? Like when does it button up and finish up and then we feel good about ourselves? And it leaves us unresolved. It's left to possibility. And so is our lives. And here we are before the Lord. He has given us a gift, but that gift has to be activated. In the U.S. uh, at birthday times, it seems like almost every birthday, the common gift is a gift card. And so you you go out, right, you know what a gift card is. You buy a gift card, you spend, you know, $20 or whatever, and you purchase that, and then you give it to somebody as a gift so that they can use it. So if I give Pastor Z a gift card, and then he goes out to use it, here's the thing. (laughs) He's receiving a gift right now. Uh, here's the thing, he can go out and try to use it, and if he does, it won't do anything. It won't work, because you have to turn the gift card over, and you have to call the number on the back, and when you call that number, it then activates the value within the gift card. I was telling Baruch this, and he said, the, the, is it scratch cards, calling cards? So that's just like calling cards in Ethiopia. So you have to turn, and you have to activate. If you try to use that before it's activated, It has zero value. But as soon as you activate the card, 
it receives the value which it was intended to have. There, this year alone, there will be $15 billion in unused gift cards in the U.S. alone. God, give me that blessing, first of all. (laughs) $15 billion of that which was paid for goes unused. Why? Because it was never activated. We are called to activate. Do you know that you have great value? Do you know that? God has placed great value on you. In fact, he paid for incredible worth in you. He poured that in you. But here we have billions and billions of value of worth within us that goes unactivated because we have not stepped into the Holy Spirit. And so we're called to step into the gift of God and activate it through his word and through his spirit. The beginning of Luke chapter 13, it's a striking lead into this parable. And it talks about two national tragedies. And the first is where uh, some worshiper, excuse me, some worshipers come to the temple and they're worshiping and they're, they're taken out. They're killed uh, by Pilate. And the second is this tragedy that happens and it's an architectural accident or something. And a tower breaks down and 18 people die. And so this is the lead-in to our parable. And then the people are saying, this happened because of their sin. And Jesus addresses it. He says, their sin is no greater than your sin. And he then calls every listener to repentance. He calls each person that is within earshot of him to begin to repent. So what Jesus is talking about is that in the unproducing tree, he is relating it to an unrepentant heart. In other words, the activation code is repentance. We want to activate God's word in us. We want to activate the value in us. We want to activate the giftings. We want to activate the fruit in us. Jesus is saying we must live life with a repentant heart heart, seeking God and laying down our hearts, laying down our sins and going after him. In verse five, Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. What was about to perish in the parable? You remember? What was about to perish? It was the tree. The tree represents who? Represents us. The whole meaning of the parable, I took a while to get here, is this right here that we are called, that Jesus calls us to live in a repentant heart. And we will repent before God. When our knees hit the ground, humility hits our hearts. When we repent before God, he sees us and he is drawn towards a repentant heart. And he comes to us. Repentance, it's, it's not just about ridding ourselves or abstaining from the negative. It's about pursuing the positive of the kingdom of God. Maybe you say, I don't need to repent today. I'm not doing that much that is bad. No, this story turns that on its head, doesn't it? We are called to do that which is good for the kingdom of God, to be active in our faith, to give God everything that we have and live in activity. What is our life producing? Years ago, uh, I was good friends with somebody who walked on Capitol Hill, which is, is our government structure, and he was high up in office, and we would walk together, and he made some He made some wrong decisions in life, and he got called on those things. The FBI, which is our government uh, police or investigators, began to investigate him, and he was booked. Uh, He was brought into uh, the judge's courtroom, and he was found guilty of those things. 
And after he was found guilty, then came the sentencing. And in the sentencing trial, and I was, I was just there in support trying to pray for him to grow through this situation. And I was in the audience, and he, uh, he was called on in his sentencing. And what he had to do was produce everything that he had done good for society. When the judge was going to sentence him, he had to share how he had added benefit to society, what he had done good for those around him. And I sat there thinking this. I didn't do that negative thing, that bad thing that he he did. But if I were here before this judge and I had to produce all the things that I had done positively for society, where would I be left in this sentencing? And I had a response in my heart. God, I repent. Forgive me for just thinking of righteousness as that which I did not do. Righteousness is that action that we are called to do. That faith that we are called to live. That hope that we are given to be active, to be played out through our lives, through our hearts, through our minds, and to be lived out just as God has called us to live, to break free from chains of bondage and change of religious mindset that holds us back and to begin to go after God. Listen, I'll just share this in closing. We were at Prayer Unusual on Friday night. Sammy, bless you, man. Bless you, bro. We were at Prayer Unusual, and it's underneath the tabernacle. I didn't know it was down there. I thought we'd be up like on the top level looking out over the city getting all energized, and we look over the city, yeah, we got to take this city. No, we were down on the lower level underneath, and I realized something, that the power in our houses does not come from the, from the roof of the house. In, in our U.S. houses, you have to go down in the basement and open up the electric panel, and when there is no power in the house, you got to get down low and go down in the basement and you have, to, you have to turn those breakers on. If the breakers aren't on, nothing in the house works. Nothing is activated. And we're over there, Sammy, we're over there praying, investing in the spirit, receiving God, going after God. And we're in the basement. We're down low. We're in the place of power. Because when we do work in the basement, it's not just for us. When you hang out in the basement, it's so that power can flow into other spaces in the house. And here's what's awesome. We're all here today. We weren't all here there at Friday Night Unusual. Listen, I'll give a quick plug. You can come Friday night, right? Prayer Unusual. But we weren't all there. But some people, a remnant of righteousness was in the house praying down in the basement. And so the power began to become available. The breakers were turned on Friday night. But here's the thing. You got to go whatever level you're on. Unless you hit that light switch, the power stays in the basement. Listen, somebody here today, you're feeling out of place. God, why do you have me? I feel like I'm a fig tree in a vineyard. What do you have to do? What do you have to say through me? Step up. The power is available. Hit that light switch. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Fill us, God. Don't just fill us a little bit, Jesus. Don't just give us a small bit of oil, God. Put the oil all over us.
God. Give us the oil of joy, the oil of blessing, the oil of calling, the oil of perseverance. Give us oil today of resolve. Give us oil of vision today. Pour your oil on us, and I pray that each one of us would activate the power that is at work underneath us, God. You are at work. And so we pray you would inspire us to step forward and to lean in, to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive that today, can I say in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Hallelujah. So be it. God bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. The Lord, thank you, Pastor Joel. Appreciate you. Love you. God bless you all.